Welcome back to the program. Today's workplace bears very little resemblance to that of our parents. Its multi-generational nature, its focus on employee empowerment, and its reflection of broader changes in society, education, and culture all create a perfect storm that requires whole new skill sets from today's leaders. We're going to talk about those skill sets and how they relate to being able to motivate people with my guest, Susan Fowler. She has over 30 years experience as a research consultant and coach in over 30 countries. She's the lead developer of the Ken Blanchard Company's Optimal Motivation product line and the co-author of numerous books about leadership and motivation. It is my pleasure to welcome Susan Fowler here to talk about her newest work, Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does the new science of leading, energizing, and engaging. Susan Fowler, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Great to have you here. It used to be that the basic carrot-and-stick approach is what everyone looked to, particularly within the workplace and even within families, as a way to motivate people. When did that begin to change? It really started to change back in the um, 60s when a researcher named Dr. Edward Deasy started doing some famous experiments where he began to realize that by actually paying people to do what they wanted to do already, as soon as he paid them, they became distracted by the reward and actually then um, enjoyed much less the activity they were doing. So um, now thousands upon thousands of those types of experiments and research has been done by hundreds of researchers all over the world. And I think what's happening is that people are really resonating with it because most of the carrot-and-stick tactics that were used in the workplace actually came out of animal behavior studies. You know, we could get pigeons to do whatever we wanted them to do if we gave them pellets. I call it the pecking pigeon paradigm. And so we just assumed that the same thing was true for people. But what really happened, and we didn't realize it, is that we could get people to do whatever we wanted them to do by bribing them, but there was a huge cost involved in that, not only with the bribe, but with the the opportunity loss of what could be possible if we were actually tapping into what truly motivates people. And talk a little bit about the opportunity loss and what we were beginning to see in the workplace as a result of this carrot-and-stick approach not being as effective once we realized that there were other alternatives. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty stunning when, and I don't even know exactly where to start because there's so much there in that question that you just asked, but let me just say that when people uh, have what we call suboptimal motivational outlooks, when they're motivated by the carrot, which is a promise of some kind of reward, whether it's tangible or intangible, like power or status is intangible. Tangible is what we typically think of incentives or bonuses or, or the promise of some kind of reward. When people are motivated by those suboptimal motivators, they literally, um, because their psychological needs are not being satisfied, they're focused outside of themselves they um, start to feel a lack of autonomy, a lack of a feeling of connection or relatedness. Their feeling of competence is actually undermined. And as a result, people have psychological and physical ill health. So not only we're not getting people's best creativity and innovation, um, especially with the stick. The stick is pressure or tension that's created um, by, you know, deadlines and those kinds of things. So we're eroding people's um, capacity to be fully present and 
creative and innovative. But now what we're seeing is extreme case of uh, cases of um, uh, disability, mental disabilities have now overtaken physical disabilities. But if we were really, you know, to look at it, a lot of physical disabilities were caused through mental disabilities, you know, um, not following safety precautions because people were suboptimally motivated to do that. Um, so there's absenteeism, uh, retention rates, all kinds of things are connected to people being motivated by things that are not optimal. How much of the change that we've seen is generational? Well, what's exciting about the new science is that, and I, I actually made a note as I was listening to your introduction, what's really exciting about the new science, Jeff, is that what Edward D.C. started with all that research was the discovery of three psychological needs that every human being has, and it's cross-generational, it's cross-gender, it's it's, it's across uh, um, cultures and races. And so every human being, I don't care who you are, you have three fundamental needs that are psychological. Just like we have fundamental biological needs for air and food and water, we have psychological needs for autonomy, relatedness, and competence. And you can see those at play with any baby. And so um, what what we know is that it doesn't matter what your generation is, you have these three psychological needs. How you satisfy those psychological needs changes generationally. To what extent have changes in the educational system had an impact on how people begin to be motivated once they enter the workplace? And to what extent is there an alignment there? That's a fascinating question. So I've never articulated this. Let me see if it comes out okay. let me just give you an example. If you, if you think about a two-year-old, what are they constantly asking you? They're always asking you, why, why, why? And the reason is because one of our natural uh, basic fundamental needs is for competence. It's to con- constantly learn and grow and get better. And so what happens is children have a natural love of learning. And what happens? We take that natural love of learning, we put kids into school, and we systematically erode their psychological need for competence by saying, oh, if you get good grades, we'll reward you. Um, If you do this well, we'll reward you. So even though there was really good intentions with gold stars and prizes and competitions for getting good grades and those kinds of things, what we have literally done with most kids is shifted their focus from their love of learning, which is natural, to, oh, it's about the reward. It's about pleasing my teacher or my parents. It's about getting gold stars. And so what happens is we literally erode their love of learning. And then when they get to the workplace, we wonder why people have this need to be rewarded for the work they do. Um, it, 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 it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And so um, that's really what my book is about, is how can you create, and, and it's about the workplace because that's where a lot of managers, that's where their pain is. But I have to tell you, I have so many responses from parents where they're, they're reading the book and they're using the ideas with their children. And how I've got much, a good example of that if you've got time for it. I, I do, but, but let me layer on to that. Mm-hmm. How much worse has it gotten with millennials who have been overly rewarded and overly <laughs> entitled, and we've seen that entitlement play out in the workplace? Yeah, and then what happens when you have an economic crisis like we you know, had, and there are no more resources. 
Um, and and so you know people are saying um, I I really need to be rewarded and there are there is nothing left to be rewarded and then we wonder why people seem to be um, discontent or disinterested in the work that they're doing. It's because we have created these distractions for people and and you know what here's the other thing Jeff people ask for more money I don't care what generation they're in but they ask for more money they ask for for more things because they don't know what else to ask for. They know they're longing for something. They know that they're lacking something, and so they ask for more stuff. The more we educate people about what they're really longing for, and I think especially with millennials, I think what you're going to find is that they, they are able to find better substitutes. Is there an end point to that, though? Does it become like Maslow's hierarchy in the extreme? The more there is, the more opportunities there are to look for other things that motivate us. Well, that's an interesting point, too, because I just, um, uh, Harvard Business Review just accepted a blog that I've written, um, Letting Go of Maslow, because Maslow's done, well, Maslow did some good things, some great things, and really kick-started a lot of thinking. His hierarchy came out in 1943, there's absolutely no empirical evidence that it ever worked, and now we know it doesn't, that there is no hierarchy of needs. People have these three foundational needs, and people can ha- self-actualize, or whatever you want to call it, anytime, anywhere, because motivation is a skill. People can choose the quality of their motivation anytime and any place, so there is no hierarchy. You were talking about examples before. Mm-hmm. Continue mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, um, I was teaching a class on, on optimal motivation and was talking about this natural love of learning that people have and that at the end of the day, what managers really needed to be asking their people was not just what did you do or what did you accomplish, but what did you learn? How did you grow? Because that's really tapping into that natural uh, psychological need. And a woman in my class um, it was a two-day class, and she came back the second day, and I asked what became clear, you know, since last we met. And she raised her hand, and she said, well, I just thought about that learning and growing. So I went home last night, and I asked my 10-year-old son, what did you learn today? And she said he looked at me and rolled his eyes and said, Mom, that's really a stupid question. And she thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe that was a little much for a 10-year-old. And she, she paused, and then he said, today was the first day of vacation. I didn't learn anything because I didn't go to school. And she laughed, and then she realized that she had never had a conversation with her son about the value of learning and that he was associating that the only way to learn and grow was when he was in school. And she said they sat down and they had a conversation about how you can learn and grow anytime, anywhere, and that that's one of the greatest loves of, of her life, and that was a value she had, and that's why she was going to this seminar. And she said, I would have never had a values conversation with my son about learning and growth if I hadn't gone home and asked him the question, what did you learn today? As we look at these multi-generational workplaces today, talk about how difficult it is for managers that are operating with people in the workplace that have understood this older paradigm that we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. but that also have to deal with these new realities. Yeah, you know, I think about how this younger generation, the Gen Xers, the Gen Yers, Millennials, are um, so socially conscious. And, you know, social entrepreneurship has become such a big deal. And the reason for that, and then look at what's happening with uh, social media, all right? 
And the reason that so much of this is happening is because our workplaces have not focused on one of the basic psychological needs, which is relatedness. In other words, we've always had that belief that, oh, this isn't, this isn't personal, it's just business. And so there's a longing that people have in the workplace. And these newer generations are saying, wait a minute, you know what, if I can't get my relatedness needs met at work, I'm going to get them met through my own network. And that's why they're constantly attached to Twitter and Facebook, because they have this longing, but they've decided they're not going to live their lives without it. So they've found ways to get it. And what I try to teach managers is, you know what, the reason your, your young people are in social media is because they're not getting their relatedness needs met at work. They don't have a sense of purpose at work, and they need a sense of purpose. They are longing for a sense of purpose. The reason that they work is not, they need the money. Let's, get, let's be clear. People want and need money, but that's, they don't find meaning in money. And what we have to help people do in the workplace is find meaning through their work. One of the ways they do that is through a sense of relatedness, and that is through having a sense of purpose. It's having managers who care about them as people, as human beings, not as meaningless cogs to get their ends met. So what I'm teaching managers is that this is a huge opportunity for them with the younger generations, the new generations, is to focus on relatedness because it's something that's been absent from the workplace for many, many years. Is there a danger, is there a downside in too much of that relatedness, as we see it in social media to the extent that you're talking about, that it drives us to only want to relate to and affiliate with people like ourselves? Does it break down in some way diversity? Well, first of all, let's just be clear that there's a difference between relatedness and being connected online, okay? So one of the things I'm trying to teach younger generations is it's not about the number of friends you have or the number of twi you know, Twitter followers you have. It is about the meaning of those relationships. And relatedness is all about um, feeling that you can care about people and they can care about you without ulterior motives. It's about um, having a sense of uh, welfare of the whole and, and that we are all connected, but not just through social media, but through our values, through our sense of purpose. And so what people are longing for, Jeff, and I don't care, again, which generation they're in, is a true sense of, um, of that relatedness, that we're all we're social by, we're by nature, social animals. We need that. So what I think that what leaders have an opportunity to do is to help these young people see that what they're really longing for is connection, but that's meaningful, and, and that's the opportunity. And when you, when you start to really care about the welfare of the whole, then it's not about discrimination. It's not about liking people who are like us. It is about that... Um, it's, it's that sense of community that people really, I have to tell you, you know, when you look at where people get the greatest energy, it's when they reach out and help someone else. I mean, it's just an extraordinary phenomenon to watch. Um, my husband and I were walking along the street the other day, and this big tree had fallen, and cars were having to drive around it. So we were trying to move this tree, and it was too heavy for us. And all of a sudden, cars stopped. I, I get chills even just <laughs> thinking about this. People, other people on the street, everybody came over and started helping us try to move this tree. It was huge, and it was heavy. And finally, this guy came, and he, he started telling us how we could get it done. And together, there was about 10 or 12 of us, we moved it. And we all started hugging, and it was, it was amazing. And then people got back in their cars and started going their separate ways. 
and and we were so energized by people who didn't even know each other, all colors and whatever, coming together for a common purpose to help one another. It was so exciting. That's our human nature. That's the truth of our humanity. But we keep getting distracted by other things. And once we know what really brings us that sense of joy, we want more of it. That's what the science says. The science says the more autonomy we get, the more we experience relatedness, the more we have a sense of our own competence, the more we want because it feels so good. Self-sustaining. And is this something that has to happen in the larger society? Because it seems more difficult in a workplace, particularly in, in a workplace environment today, where people stay in a work environment for such a short period of time. You know, I, th- I really um, think just the opposite. I think that 75% of the time that, spent, that people spend awake as adults is spent connected to their work. It's getting up and getting ready for work. It's getting to work. It's working. It's going home from work. It's decompressing from work. I think the greatest opportunity we have for bringing out the best in our human nature is through the workplace. And so I think that it will be the workplace that's changing the world, not the world that's changing the workplace. And finally, talk a little about competence today and and really mastery and and what you're seeing take place in that regard. Well, I think it's really exciting because there's so many different ways now for people to actually um, gain gain competence, to grow and to learn. And so part of what people need to understand is that if they don't grow or learn every day, that they're not going to feel the energy, vitality, and sense of well-being that they deserve. And so to really take advantage of, um, you know, virtual learning, uh, to take advantage of um, your peer, your um, your, well, your, I was going to say your peers, but also mentors. I've done a lot of research on mentoring, and the people who really um, make, you know, are, are promoted, who work in a, you know, uh, gain, um, you know, more promotions and, and those kinds of things in the workplace. They have mentors, and it hasn't been because a mentor has approached them. It's because they took the initiative to approach a mentor. So I just think there's so many wonderful ways to grow and learn, but the focus has to be on growing and learning. It has to be on, you know what, If I, I, I don't care what my job is. I could be a toll booth operator, and I can find a way to grow and learn every single day in that role. So it doesn't matter what your role is. It is about the value of learning. And that's what I really am trying to um, get across to people. If you, if you truly want to have optimal motivation, you need to grow and learn as many times during a day as you can. So like today, you've asked me questions that I've never been asked before. I'm learning as I'm sharing with you. Wow, it's early in the morning for me. I'm already having a good day. <laughs> Susan Fowler, her book is Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does, The New Science of Leading, Energizing, and Engaging. Susan, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for helping me grow and learn, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.